Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Hey friends, open your Bibles to the 51st Psalm. If you're not in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can open up the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures right there on the screen. Wherever it is that you're viewing this from, I love you, thank you for being a part of our family. Time-tested truths. A few weeks ago, my friend, Pastor Scott, who leads our church in downtown Green Bay, he texted me. And he said, hey, remember last summer when we did the Young Gun series and we had all the young preachers on our team deliver a message? What if we did a series with the older preachers on our team and we called it like old hands or old guns or or old farts? And we talked about principles you only learn through time. And guys, I instantly loved the concept, this idea that some things, they don't come easy. They don't come fast, which in and of itself is a foreign concept in this instant culture that we live in. With Google and Siri and Alexa, knowledge and information is always at our fingertips, accessible with just a word or a command. But life, like real life, that's not lived on demand. Some things take time. They require testing. So a bunch of us, we we got in a room together and we came up with some life principles, some truths you don't just happen upon, like patience or wisdom, generosity, or like Pastor Becky talked about last week, faith. Mm. Faith is not easy. As we saw in Job's life and the three things that are paralleled in his life and our own, especially in the midst of, the middle of a pandemic. So I want to continue this conversation today. I want to talk about another time-tested truth in a message we're calling humility versus pride. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for our lives, God, and all of the blessings that are upon us, the provisions and the protections, the healings and the health. And so God, today, I pray that your word would radiate, it would resonate within us, that our hearts and our minds would be changed, that we would leave this different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Humility, uh, what a concept. It's actually an idea that's woven throughout scripture. The need for it and the ramifications, the ripple effect that's created in our lives when we don't live within its confines. James, the earthly brother of Jesus, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he said, humble yourselves before the Lord and God, he will lift you up. The Psalms, they tell us that God guides the humble in what's right and teaches them his way. Or in the midst of a great spiritual struggle, an angel appeared to Daniel and said, don't be afraid, Daniel. 
Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Mm. Since the first day you began to humble yourself, he has come to answer your prayer because God, he blesses the humble. But humility, it has an opponent, an opposer, and that opponent is pride. And James, he told us that God resists the proud. It's the picture of of putting your arms straight out, putting up a barrier, a boundary, a blockade. This pandemic and subsequent quarantines has been an accelerant for pride. So many families have had the opportunity to spend more time together, which has, for some, created an increased chance that you'd get on each other's nerves. I mean, let's be honest, even when you really love someone, constant close proximity can lead to friction. And that friction is often because of pride. Have you ever been so prideful that you couldn't compromise on something even though you knew you should? Have you ever been in an argument with someone close to you, someone you love and you knew you were wrong, but you just couldn't admit it? Of course you have, we all have, because we're all full of pride. That's why we all have conflict in our lives. And James says, God is against the proud. He declares war on arrogance, war on ego, on pride. Anytime pride rears its head in your life, you're on the opposite side of God. And your arms, they are too short to box with him. I mean, God doesn't look at pride and say, oh, that's just a a little petty thing. He openly opposes people who are prideful. He declares war on arrogance, war on ego. He declares war on pride. And you may have already noticed this, but God has this really unique way of engineering circumstances that deflate our ego. Guys, it's dangerous to be in opposition to God. When you're on a collision course with the creator of the universe, you are going to lose. But gratefully, James says that God gives grace to the humble. If pride causes conflict, then that means the opposite is true too. Humility can stop conflict. The cure for conflict is humility. Every time you're humble, you'll get along better with your spouse or your kids your coworkers or your boss, your friends and your foes because God gives grace to the humble. And and grace is just the power to change. If, If you wanna stop the fighting in your life against others, God and yourself, you need grace. And there's only one way to get it. Be humble, which takes time, effort, takes maturity, comes through strain and struggle, comes through some lumps and some losses. Let me talk to you about two kings today, Saul and David. Saul, he started out with great acclaim. He was declared king ahead of everyone else. He was the number one pick. He was famous, he was feared, he was celebrated, he was loved. For a period of time, he won every battle that he found himself in and yet he was still humble. But then, he started to believe his own press. He, 
he believed in his own press, and when he did that, he came to odds with Samuel, his spiritual authority. And when he came to odds with Samuel, he came out from under a spiritual covering and a spiritual accountability. And when he did that, he started doing his own thing, started making independent decisions, started picking his own battles, and it got him in over his head, like literally, when he confronted Goliath. Sometimes people don't naturally read scripture and picture it the way that it really happened. We have some sort of uh, predisposed idea of what things looked like or, or people looked like. And so I, I think that sometimes people look at Saul and they don't realize how enormous he was. Saul was imposing. I mean, uh, Historians now tell us that he was significantly bigger than anyone had imagined even like 25 years ago. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that of all the people in all of Israel, not only was Saul the most handsome, he was by far the biggest. He was more than a head taller than the next tallest person among two and a half million people. And so some like really reputable historians now, like I'm talking about, these aren't Christian historians, really reputable academic historians estimate that Saul could have been anywhere between seven foot two and seven foot six inches tall. And yet when he comes into this conflict with Goliath, he literally finds himself in over his head, seven and a half feet tall, versus nine and a half feet tall. And it was the first time that Saul had been outmatched. The first time he had ever been outsized. And he was terrified, which is understandable. Goliath was the undefeated champion from Gath, the land of the giants. He'd have engaged in hundreds of fights, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes with the odds against him, sometimes against mobs of normal-sized men, and many times, against other giants. And yet of all of the hundreds of fights that Goliath had found himself in, he was the champion of all champions. He was the giant of all giants. And so when Saul is confronted by this enemy, he hid from him. And when he hid from Goliath, he tried to shift his responsibility by trying to give his armor to David. It was like, here, you fight him. Nobody will care if you die, but if I die, the people will never recover. Pride. And you probably know this story, but David didn't take the armor. He took his sling and five smooth stones, not in case he missed. He knew he wasn't going to miss, but as 2 Samuel tells us, it was because Goliath had four brothers. So David defeated the giant that Saul could have defeated had he just humbly submitted himself to God the same way that David did, which then caused Saul to become jealous of David. And so because he was jealous, he tried to kill him. He started trying to build his reputation and destroy David's pride. And in his pride, he started making bad decisions. And when he was confronted by the prophet Samuel, he ignored him. He distanced himself from him. Pride. He started consulting witches for advice. And during one of those consultations, he was advised and goes into a battle that he shouldn't be in. 
And in that battle, his sons are killed and confronted with the possibility that he had finally been defeated rather than be captured or killed by the enemy, Saul kills himself and he dies alone, defeated on a muddy battlefield. He dies as a cautionary tale, a story of pride. David, on the other hand, he started with no acclaim. He was declared king after everyone else. He was the last pick. He was like the kids standing on the brick wall and they're picking out dodgeball teams and because they had to have even teams, they had to pick him. And it was like, oh, I guess we'll take David. <laughs> and then even after he was appointed king, he went and served the current king, Saul, because he realized it was his title, but not his time, humility. He won a battle when he killed Goliath, and because of that battle, he became famous. In fact, the people sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. But David, he doesn't believe his own press. He went back and continued to serve Saul. He remained humble. And even though Saul turned on him, he refused to turn on Saul. He refused to kill the king. He refused to touch God's anointed. So finally, in the previously mentioned battle, Saul dies. And when Saul dies, David becomes king. And when he becomes king, he starts making bad decisions. It's like an example of the old adage that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he made a bad decision when he didn't go to a battle he should have been in. So where Saul went to a battle he shouldn't have been in, David didn't go to a battle he should have been in. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David, mm, he remained in Jerusalem. And so while his men are out fighting, while his men are in a battle that he should have been, but he wasn't. He sees Bathsheba. And when he sees Bathsheba, he sends for Bathsheba. He has sex with Bathsheba. He is sprung on Bathsheba, so he has her husband, Uriah, killed. And when this happens, David is then confronted by another prophet, Nathan. But unlike Saul, he submits to the prophet. He falls on his face and he repents. He cries out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, please restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And so because of that, because of his humility, when David dies, he dies in a palace surrounded by friends and family able to transfer leadership to his son Solomon. He dies as the greatest king in the history of Israel and the only man ever referred to as a man after God's own heart. He died a picture of humility. Here's what's interesting. They both started humble. The difference is Saul believed his own press while David didn't. Saul pushed away from his spiritual authority and accountability while David, he pressed into it. Guys, anybody can start well but life is not measured by how you start. It's measured by how you finish. That's why the apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race because the apostle, he understood every second 
counts. I'm a I'm pretty big UFC fan, Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now, some people think that it's barbaric, but I, I, I enjoy it. And so I get a lot of the pay-per-views. And on October the 6th, 2018, it was one of those days. It was UFC 229. It's really famous for the fact that Khabib beat Conor McGregor, which I was surprised by. But nonetheless, at UFC 229, Derek Lewis fought Alexander Volkov. At six foot seven, 265 pounds, Volkov was a giant with an 80 inch reach. And he used that reach to punish Lewis the entire fight, to pepper Lewis the entire fight, to keep him off him. Lewis had no answer. Volkov was easily beating him the entire fight, but Derek Lewis knew that every second counts. He kept fighting, he kept punching, he trusted his training, trusted his preparation, and with 10 seconds left, Volkov let up. Volkov didn't recognize that every second counts. And when he let up, Lewis, he, he landed one clean punch and he knocked Volkov smooth out. Because Lewis, he knew up until the very end what he was capable of. He, he made every second count. What about you? Are you gonna make every second count? Like in your relationships, with your spouse, your significant other, with your kids, your siblings, your parents, your friends, and your foes. I hope so, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace, the power to change, to those who are humble. Would you close your eyes? You know, salvation, which is literally why we do everything that we do so that people will come to Jesus, it is a rescuing, often a rescuing from yourself. Salvation is the great act of humility. It requires an admission of guilt. Uh, two decades and a half ago, I had to make an admission of guilt. I had to humble myself, submit myself to Jesus. And when I did that, my life hasn't been perfect, but it certainly has never been the same. And so today, we want to give opportunity for you to do that, for you to humble yourself. Humble yourself and admit that here just a few weeks post-2020, the most difficult year of your life, you learned that you can't do this on your own. Here's the good news. We have the answer, and his name is Jesus. And so today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to humble yourself to admit that you're a sinner, to admit that you can't fix yourself, but you believe that, like he did for me, he can for you. And so here's how we're gonna do that. It's really easy, actually. I'm gonna repeat a few words in a prayer, and then I'm gonna pause. And if you repeat those words after me, and the Bible says you mean them in your heart, you'll be saved. You will begin new. You'll start a brand new life where everything you've ever done wrong before will be deleted, will be wiped from the slate. So if that's you and you say, Sean, I wanna humble myself, admit that I'm a sinner and receive my savior. Would you say these words after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you come into my life? Will you change me? Will you make me different? Will you make me new? Be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you just made the most magnificent decision that you've ever made. You just started 2021 better than you ever could have by doing anything else. And so we want the opportunity to follow up with you and help you in this journey away from where you are toward where Jesus wants you to be, which is just more like him. So if you'd message us and let us know that you received Jesus, we would sure love the opportunity to follow up with you. But we're not done. I wonder if you're watching this, you say I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. But you got a little pride in you. And the way that you know that is because you're at odds with someone you love. You can't forgive someone you love. You had conflict with your spouse or your kids or a coworker or whatever that may be. You're somebody who can seldom admit that they're wrong. If you heard this today and you said, Sean, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with pride. Would you pray with me, God? Thank you for my friends. God, it's not easy to admit that you're struggling with pride. It takes humility to admit that you need humility. And so God, I pray for my friends that you'd move on their hearts and on their minds, that you'd make us less like us and more like you. Root out all the pride. Make us humble so that we can get your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.